You're listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and I'm really thrilled to welcome back Sarah Rusbatch. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Um, you've had a bit of a meteoric rise to fame in the last eight or ten weeks. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> How does it feel to be famous? Um, <laughs> oh, not quite there yet, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens. No, it feels good. It feels um, exciting, a little bit overwhelming, um, and a little. I feel a little bit lost, but um, with with knowing the direction to go now, because there are so many opportunities coming up. But I also feel very proud and very excited with um with how well it's going in such a short space of time mm, I I wanted to walk you through a walk that everyone listening through the journey that you've been on in the last say six months and how you very quickly got to this place does that sound okay yeah that's fine so just to backtrack a little bit, I met you in Wellness Coaching Australia's professional certificate course and you were doing um, level three and then you did Passion to Profit, the business training with me. So I want to start there. You were finishing up your qualification. You were into that um, Passion to Profit course. What did you learn at that time to help you get ready to and prepared to build your business and launch? I guess the biggest thing was um, developing my niche. So that was the, the biggest thing to come out of working on the passion to profit was to, to know that it's natural to be scared to niche, but mm-hmm. to know that that's the only way to get success. And that is, and, and you said it to me and I didn't believe you, but it's so true. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's been the biggest thing that has happened to me. And so I'm forever grateful for what that course has taught me in terms of just being able to back myself and, and know that, um, that what I was doing was the right thing to do. Because when you've got the qualification, there are so many avenues that you can go down. And as a new coach, you don't, I didn't feel like I wanted to say no to anyone. So I felt like I wanted to set up a business that could cater for every single person that came across me so that I was <laughs> never turning anyone down. But of course, when you go through your program, you realize that how are you gonna market to, to, mm. to anybody if you look like you're covering every single thing. So what you helped me to do was really get to know who the client was that I wanted to work with, what their challenges were, what they were looking for, um, and how I could help them. And then I had my clear strategy of how to to sell my product to them. Um, And that evolved over the, the program. I think, you know, from my very first session to my last session, it was not how I thought it was gonna be. So it definitely was a, a journey um, of me learning who I wanted to work with and really getting to identify what their pain point was and what their issue mm. was that I would be able to, to support them with. Yeah, I remember you were stuck on that for a little while on mm. getting clear on what that was and being able to articulate it. Yes, definitely. But um, but through the, the questions that were asked throughout the program just mm. really got me thinking about that. I feel like having a laugh because imagine... I mean, I know you've got a lot of people in contact with you now and a lot of people you're working with. And imagine if everybody was coming to you, how overwhelmed you'd feel now. Yes, exactly. Outside exactly. of your niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it is like when you go niche and when you do really start identifying who you want to work with, um, it 
bring well, it just brings me so much more joy because I feel like I'm an expert in my area. Whereas what I realize now is I could never have been an expert um, in terms of really understanding my area and really being able to to offer a great service in that area um, if I hadn't really got to know what my niche was. Right, that's a good point. So by being general, you don't get the chance to become a specialist and it affects your confidence in able to being able to put yourself out there and see how you can tangibly help people. Yeah, because when you're dealing, well, I've found when I've been dealing with the same issues with a range of different clients, I've learned so much from that. And that's made me a better coach in a really short space of time to be able to take that forward with the next clients that I work with. Mm. Even within a niche, there's a lot of diversity, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Aside from the challenge of niching, was there anything else that was difficult or that you were afraid of in the beginning and, and how did you overcome that? Um, I was afraid of even ha understanding how to launch a coaching business. Um, how was I going to work out what to charge? How was I going to build a program? How was I going to structure it? Um, because it's all very well having the qualification, but mm -hmm. then what do you do after that? And so that was what this, the passion to profit did really well was kind of, it felt like just being gently guided step-by-step step through what's needed um, with the final part being everything you need to know from a systems perspective and the actual just really practical things of sending out coaching agreements and, and, and you know, all of the, the legalities as well as from the beginning of who's your niche, where are you going to market to them? Um, and then how are you going to build your program? So I was really scared of that um, just because I didn't know it. But I feel um, by the end of the program, I felt really confident. Okay. And so when you did finish and you graduated and you got your final certificate, was there any challenge that you had then or was it easy for you to go out and get into the market? No, I knew exactly what I was doing by that point. I was really clear um and I did um and then I just I ran a challenge and then I sold my program on the back of the challenge um and filled all my spots you make it sound so easy <laughs> <laughs> I just did a challenge launched a program off the back sold all my spots <laughs> that's that's the um that's what we were taught to do right <laughs> Wow. I, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I'll, I'll talk, ask you about that in a moment. Um, but how did you map out your strategy to really launch and grow so quickly? What, what happened with that? Well, um, I guess it's useful here to explain that um, a lot of the area that I'm working in is um, women who want to stop drinking and discover more um, about themselves and find more fulfillment and purpose and passion in their lives. And I realized that um, I was starting at a brilliant time of year because it was January. Everyone had just done, you know, had a very boozy Christmas, feeling a bit rubbish. The start of the new year, setting intentions. Mm. So I ran a challenge and I knew that I was going to do this. I, at first, I thought I was going to do a five day challenge. But then I thought, well, most people do dry January. Um, I'm going to run a 21 day challenge in January to support people who want to take a break from alcohol. Um, and I was overwhelmed with the number of women that joined that challenge, um, which boosted my confidence in knowing that I had so much to offer. Um, and then I, every day I did a live video. Now I would not recommend this because this was very exhausting. <laughs> For 21 days at 5 p.m. per time, every day, I did a live video. Now the intention was every day that it'd be for five minutes. Most days it was for about 40 minutes. So um, that, 
but it made me realize how much I had to say on the matter and and mm. um, and how much people were really enjoying um, learning um, about the support and the tips and um, because not many people out there are talking about it. So that was my strategy. And then I built a wait list. I started talking about my program while I was doing the challenge. I said I had an exciting program coming soon and um, it would be a natural step on from taking the alcohol-free challenge. And people joined the wait list um, and I sold all my wait list spots um, in two days, um, wow. which was amazing. And then I opened it up to people that were not on the wait list. And then I think it took about a week before all of the spots that I wanted to sell um, were sold. So I'm hearing that you had a, a free thing that people could join your yeah. challenge. You yeah. were very present and engaged and had a lot to say every day, not just doing a static post using a, a posting service. You were actually in the group interacting with them yeah. uh, and spending a lot of time. It sounds like it was worth the investment because then you also had this, the enticement of a call to action, which was your wait list for something coming soon, which was some intrigue and that got them interested and excited about being part of that next thing to continue past the 21 days exactly exactly yeah um and that just seemed to just work really well mm. was there anything sarah that came up in the challenge that you think outside of your niche is generally relevant for other niches like what were some of the issues that might have been raised in the um, group well the one thing i learned is that i gave far too much away for free um, and I gave far too much that I think there's a fine line between how much information you're prepared to share. And it's not even about it being free, but it's, it was about, um, you know, as I said, 40 minutes a day for 21 days. That's an awful lot of information that I was giving away. And if I was doing it again, perhaps um, I wouldn't do it quite that way, because not only is it specifically exhausting, but there's, there was too much information that I think I was passing. I could have kept mm -hmm. some back a little bit. Um, but overall, the, the most amazing thing as well was seeing the connections and the support that the people in the challenge were giving each other and creating uh, that real sense of community um, that so many of them have continued to stay off alcohol since then. Um, and most of them tell me that that group on Facebook is their favourite group ever and that they absolutely love it because they're all forming connections with each other. It's not just about me. And so mm -hmm. I've created an actual community, which, um, which is great. Yeah, I mean, you have lived experience, so you're very credible. You're showing up and creating those connections. The timing of year was perfect. And also at the bigger picture level, there is a bit of a movement towards being sober curious, right? It's, it's the start of a new thing. And so there's sure. you, you've got lots of ways of getting traction. Plus, it seems you're very good at networking too. And you have extended networks around the place. Yeah, um, I so I had had the foresight, I guess, before I even ran the challenge, I knew that um, I would use the Facebook community to create a group um, because I knew that in the sobriety world that that really works well and it gives people a lot of support. So I had set that up about four months before, mm -hmm. um, didn't realise how useful that was going to end up being. Um, because not only to the ladies in the group, but to me as well, because um, they, they knew me already, but even to get them to do the challenge, they had, had come across me and they knew me and I'd done some live videos and I'd shared my story. So I think um, because I'd decided that was going to be my way of marketing, I'd done that ahead of time, which definitely accelerated 
how quickly I was able to get success once I'd qualified and, and was ready to launch. Mm. I was going to ask you about three or four things that you did to become very visible and engaging and attractive. So one of them would be starting that group earlier on and getting it all set up and starting yes. to build those the slow burn connections over time. Yeah, yeah. I'd watched something that said when you're creating a, a Facebook group or um, don't sell for the first six months, just build the community and just build um Get, get them to know you and, and to know each other. And, and that's what I did. And I've been very blessed that I've had, um, the group has grown very quickly. There's um, 1,700 women in it now all around the world. Wow. And I have had no issues. There have not been a single, you know, women can sometimes pull each other women, other women down. And I just haven't had that at all. They have been the most supportive and amazing group of women. So it's, um, I do still monitor it and I do still, they have to get approval from me before, um, posts will go live in the group I don't feel quite ready to let it go free for all yet yeah. um, but no it, that's definitely been a massive help for me having that group mm. and what are some other things that you've done to become visible um, so I um, sent an email to every radio station in Perth um, and told them what I was doing um, and so far I've been on ABC, Perth ABC, I've been on 6PR, I'm going to be on 98.5 tomorrow. Um, I also looked for all the health and sobriety podcasts out there and I just sent an email to all of them with my story and what I'm doing um, and starting to get some um, replies and bookings to go on podcasts as well. So that was literally just it literally just writing emails to all the places that I could mm. think of that might be interested to talk to me. Right. So obviously one of your marketing strategies is public speaking and that's whether it be in a Facebook group or on a guest podcast or a radio or a webinar, that's that's your jam. It's playing to your strengths and you enjoy that. Exactly. Yeah. What about writing, Sarah? Is that something you enjoy? Absolutely. And I would love to, my dream one day is to write a book, um, but it's just finding the time. It's, um, and I've started a newsletter. So I do write a weekly newsletter now for the ladies. Um, some are in my group and some are not. So the other people that have found out about it have been through Instagram. So I have a page on there. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually um, I would, I might start writing a blog, um, but yeah, it's, um, I'm, Lots of ideas, but finding the time um, yeah. is the biggest challenge. And I guess at some point you'll go initially to get to become known, getting on the radio and guest podcasting is a great strategy. Um, being visible on Facebook is a, a foundation for you, I guess, and Instagram as well. And then it may be that you're doing less of that um, publicity stuff as you get better known and settle into some writing, some blogging or something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hmm, sounds great. And repurposing content where you can, I'm, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. Yep. Awesome. And so how are you managing your time and your energy and your clients with this big explosion in popularity? <laughs> um, I am using a planner um, and I plan the night before I try and be strict with just planning what I'm doing when the next day because um, it's very easy to get distracted um, particularly if you even so much as look at Facebook um, that's a half an hour gone so I'm very strict with when I let myself do that now so that I can get focused on what I need to do um, I'm very strict with turning my phone off at night and being with the family um, 
because I've had to set boundaries because it's hard because you know the, my kids are still young and they see me on my phone all the time because I'm always on Facebook and Instagram doing posts and responding and mm. and I've had to realize that I can't be like that in front of them so I've got it's been a learning curve and I've got to create my boundaries my daughter said to me the other day mum why are you on your why are you on your phone all the time and that was a bit of a wake-up uh. call because what I tried to explain to her I am actually working it's the same as mum when mum used to be in the office doing her work um, so my husband and I had a chat and said, whenever I'm on my phone doing work stuff, I do it in the office so that the mm. kids don't get confused. So it's just finding my boundaries and what works for our family um, and, um, and and still keeping the momentum going with the business. It's great that you've got that awareness right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. As you were describing it, I thought, hmm, when I was growing up, I used to have the TV on while I was doing my homework and say that it was background noise. And I guess, you know, it's it's the context. So taking your phone into the office and treating it formally like work really does make it work and probably makes it easier for you to not waste time on Facebook and not go down the rabbit hole. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're a coach who's leading by example, setting boundaries, managing your environment, getting yeah. the buy-in of the family yeah and I'm trying to just recognize when I'm getting full up and when I'm getting overwhelmed and when I need to to take a break because that's everything I talk to my ladies about and I've got to make sure that I'm doing that as well and yeah. so it is recognizing when I need to go for a walk and it is recognizing when I need to go and take 10 minutes to read a book or have a bath or whatever it is um I'm making sure that I live by that example and I see you've got some fishing rods in the background yeah. It's a long weekend here in Perth this weekend, so hopefully we'll get out of the boat and go fishing and not take the phone with me. <laughs> Fantastic. Sarah, have you got any last words of advice, which is very non-coaching, but any recommendations or opinions or even just advice for people who are scared starting their coaching business and want to create the success that you've created so far? I think it's for me, it was it's a couple of things. It was developing my niche and knowing, getting really clear on who that person was. So really, you know, we talk about the avatar of who was that person. And it was me five years ago. And so in some ways it was easy for me because I, it spoke to me so loudly. Um, I was so grateful to you for um, encouraging me to run the pilot group. Um, that was amazing absolute gold because everything I've done with this program is based on doing the pilot group that I did mm. during um passion to profit and I wouldn't have been able to go into selling this program confidently if I hadn't done that before so I would say to anybody out there um if you're thinking about doing group coaching um the pilot group is absolutely yeah. brilliant um and go with what what feels right to you because I think that it does become all consuming and it's exciting and so you have to be really passionate about where you want to help people. And that's why I knew there was a couple of ideas that I was having, but I was thinking, how does that make me feel if I'm working with people in that area all day, every day, and it didn't mm. make me feel good. So I knew that that wasn't going to light me up. So it was yeah. asking myself those questions around what lights me up and what makes me feel invigorated and, and where I want to spend my time that really helps me um, hone in on that niche. I think that's so important because you are the business and then if you want to be doing this in 10 years time or even if you want to sell it, even if you want to run a, run a great business, you have to love it. I always think of Mick Jagger. I mean, how old is he? 70 yeah. something and he's still yeah. singing the same songs. He has I to know. love those songs. Yeah, 
Otherwise, yes. he couldn't get out of bed and be a superstar every day. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if he'd had enough of singing satisfaction. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Sarah, for your insights today. It's been, I know you're busy and you have a lot on and I really appreciate you carving out time to do this. And no, that's fine. I've enjoyed it. For everyone Thank listening, you. I think there's some great insights there. Thank you for all your support. My pleasure. I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye.